On Friday morning, uh, I'm going to read you a couple things here and talk to you a little bit tonight. Turn with me if you would, because I know you'll get offended if I don't give you a scripture verse. So Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter, especially Reverend Taylor, he said, Pastor, I just can't concentrate unless you give me a scripture verse. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Matthew 16 and verse 19, it says, uh, let's look at verse 18. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. Uh, this rock of revelation that Jesus Christ is the Lord, not, uh, not the rock that is Peter. That's where the Catholics missed an entire doctrine. It's not based on a man. It's based on the revelation that Jesus is the Lord and the Christ. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth, declare unlawful or forbid, shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, declare lawful or release, shall be loosed in heaven. Oh, amen. So we see here, he says, I give you the keys, which is the access point. Keys take you into a new room. What he's trying to say is the kingdom of heaven is like behind these doors. Everything that you want, all the blessings that you need, everything that you, I want you to have access to it all. But there's a door getting between you and it. Now I'll give you the key to open that door. The way that you access all that the kingdom of God offers is if you use your authority. That's the way you access it. Amen. Now, this is not a new sermon for you. This is not a new message, but I'm going to give you a story tonight. And then the, the reason I'm doing this is because the Lord said, now I want you to focus Wednesday night in conjunction with Sunday. And the, and the, and the connection here uh, is we, we talked, I think, last Wednesday about Nehemiah's trowel and Nehemiah's sword. And about how, you know, there's, there's a tax during a season of increase, but he was, he was working on, on the house of God, but he was also, he was also watching in the spirit and prayer and the thing. And we did that by the Holy Ghost last week. Do you remember? And so uh, at one point, even though all of that applies last week's sermon, kind of all of it applied, but especially where he said, don't be afraid. And he said, imprint upon your minds, the Lord, which is the word, get the word in your mind so that you'll be courageous. He said, mm -hmm. And so why? Because when we're coming into a new season, uh, there's a guarding of the mind that is necessary. Because uh, remember 1 Corinthians uh, 69, uh, effectual door is open unto me, there's many adversaries. So in a time of increase, in your life personally too, not just for the church, if you're about to, even if the church is maybe going through a different season, but in your personal life, you're seeing increase, you got to understand there's a spiritual law in operation. When you're beginning to increase, things will begin to oppose you more than they ever did before. I'm talking about it as a church because as a church, we're going to, we're believing God, we're coming into a new phase and that there's more ahead for us. And so there is going to be things that are going to try to withstand, not just on a broad scale corporately, but also individually because you are the church. Things will try to oppose you and attack you. So the Lord said in these few weeks leading up to the new year, as you're casting the vision Sunday, spend some time, not exclusively. I mean, I can deviate. It wasn't like a, like a, you know, a, a, a rigid instruction, but he, he prompted me, he said, spend some time talking about protecting their thought life and not getting into the mental arena about things. Cause when you're trying to increase into something, the enemy will, will bombard your thought life. And if you don't get skillful in learning how to keep your mind quiet, and put those thoughts under, uh, you'll start to engage them and uh, it'll drain you. It'll tire you out. And, and there's certain principles that, <laughs> that you got to understand about your mind. So in, in all capacities, something in the next number of Wednesdays is going to be referring to the mind. But it's not just going to be uh, just a simple sermon about the mind. Now, I, I wrote that for last Wednesday. And then he said, talk about Nehemiah. But we still talked a bit about the mind because he said, imprint them upon your minds. Imprint the word upon your minds. He was in tremendous danger. People wanted to kill him. People wanted to sneak in and kill him. And it was tremendous. They had to hold a sword and a trowel together. I mean, think about the stress that they were under. And he said, don't be afraid. Be courageous and get the word in your mind. In other words, if you think right, if you think right, remember that was one of the five points. If you think right, other things, stay close to me. Listen, uh, you know, stay focused. But if you think right, it will help you in the day of increase because the day of increase also equals the day of trouble. Do you understand? He prevents a table before you. In other words, there's more for you to eat in the presence of your enemies. As you're eating more, they're watching you more. As you're increasing more, they're strategizing against you more. As you're increasing more, they're trying to bombard your thought life. They may hit your body too, but their main focus is your mind. So you got to work on, you got to learn how to get skillful with your thoughts. 
So we talked about that last week. Now today I'm going to share a sermon. It's, it's more about the authority of the believer, but there's a section in here. The Lord spoke to me a Friday morning, early morning prayer. He said, I want you to, I want you to preach this. He said, preach it in Delaware. And then he said, I want you to preach it on Wednesday night as well. And he said, Delaware, just, just, just smash them. Just, just lambaste them. I don't have to come in from any angle. Just have the train run them over. And I think we did that a little bit, Taylor. But t- tonight I, I'm coming more at it from a bit of an angle about the mind side of it, because part of the story you'll hear addresses the mind, and that's my focus more on tonight, but I have to tell you the whole story to begin with. Now this story is, and I've, and I've listened to this story many, many, many times, and I've written out notes on the story verbatim so that I'm quoting you exactly as Norval Hayes quoted it, okay? And I've entitled the story, You're the Head of Your House. And this is a, this is a valuable lesson for us to learn. When, when Dad Hagen and these kind of people had these experiences, as long as they line up with the word, they have to line up with the word. And if, we, if these are men of, of, of that we trust and their spirituality, the end of their conversation, the Bible says, remember Hebrews uh, 13 verse 7, it says, follow them that are over you, considering the end of their conversation. That word conversation doesn't just mean a chat with them. It really means the end of their faith. So when you look at Brother Hagen's end of his faith, end of his life, and you look at Norval, end of their faith, end of their life, they, they maintained a good report to the moment they died. They maintained, they didn't, they didn't go and get into nonsense. That doesn't mean that other things you couldn't take. There's some people, they start well, but they end bad, but you can still take what, what they taught when they started right. But especially those that have run the race, finished their course, and they did it with joy, and they did it with strength, and they did it with honor. And their experiences with God, as long as they line up with the word and bear witness with your inner witness of the Holy Ghost, you have to have a bearing of witness and you have to have a line up with the word. If that does, then, then, then you can take some of the lessons that God taught them in their experience and apply it to your life. Right, yeah. Pastor Nancy always said and still says, Dad Hagen's visions were not for Dad Hagen. Yeah. They were for him, but they were for the church. They're for the church. When he met with them for an hour and a half in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, and appeared to him about casting out devils, we can learn from that as long as it lines up with the word and it bears witness with our spirit. Do you understand? Now, Norval Hayes was taken, he was, it was technically a trance, but he, but he was taken to heaven in a trance. And, uh, and well, that's what he says. I mean, he, a trance, an open vision is when, you, you know, your, your eyes are open, your senses are still operating, and you see into the realm of spirits. But a trance, when your eyes are open, but your senses are suspended. And normally your body is frozen in a certain position, and, and your senses, your natural senses are suspended, but your eyes are open, and you're seeing into the realm of spirits, and you're hearing into the realm of spirits, and you're having a supernatural experience, but, but your other, the other senses are suspended. Yeah. But the way that he words this, he called it a trance more than once. So I'm calling it a trance because he called it a trance. And that is the right definition, according to Dad Hagen. But he also said that he descended in the atmosphere later on, which would indicate that he had gone to heaven. Do you understand? So his body was in, his senses were suspended. His body was frozen in a certain position, but he went to heaven. Now that happened with Dr. Dufresne more than one time where he would sit there. He would slump over the angels, two angels would come and keep his heart going, but he would go to heaven. Now that's more of an out of body experience. Sometimes there's a bit of a gray zone and overlap, Reverend Greg, with how all these things work. But it seems like he was taken to heaven, but he also called it a trance because his physical spender's senses were suspended. So let me, can I tell you the story? Because I think it will bless you. And, and I'm telling it to you accurately and you can take it to the bank. Zona Hayes was about 11 years old, give or take. And she got 12 growths on her arms and her hands and different parts of her body. And the, and the gross were getting bigger and she, they were very ugly and the little girl's con- conscious about that stuff, obviously. And so she went to Dr. Lowe and Dr. Lowe cut them off. And then a few months later, they grew back, but they increased from 12 growths to 42 growths. And so she begged her daddy, can we go back Dr. Head, Dr. Norval Hayes, can we go back to Dr. Lowe and have them cut the other growths off too? And he says, no, I'm going to pray and believe God for a miracle. So the years are passing. Five years pass and she's praying. He's praying. She's not praying. He's praying, asking God for a miracle. For five years. That is a long time. And during that time, the growths are not getting smaller. 
they seem rebelliously to get bigger. And now they're cracked, they're open, they're, they're broken open, and there's blood coming out of them, and there's 42 all over her body, and not just little tiny warts, I mean growths on the, over top of her skin. Now she's about 15, 16 years old, and she's even more embarrassed. Dad Hagen comes on over, and uh, he, he was coming through, and in those days, not unlike today, but if ministers knew each other well and they had a spare bedroom, they would stay over at each other's home instead of incurring the cost of a hotel. And so he was coming through Cleveland, so he stopped at Brother Norville's house with Zona. Remember, he was divorced years before, so he's raising Zona alone. And, uh, and, he, and he, he said uh, they had some fellowship. And at dinner, Zona said to Dad Hagen, Dad Hagen, she said, Dad, would you talk to my dad and tell him to let me go back to Dr. Lowe and cut these ugly things off my body? He refuses to let me go. He says he's believing for a miracle, but he'd been praying for five years and there's no miracle. Would you tell him to let me go back to Dr. Lowe? Norville was in the kitchen preparing something for, for Dad Hagen, and they were talking at the table, Zona and him, and he said, oh, Zona, I know how to get rid of those things. I can get rid of that for you. And then the conversation changed, but he overheard that statement, and he thought to himself, what does he mean he can get rid of those things for me or for her? He says it so lightly. He says it so nonchalantly, like it's no big deal. And I've been laboring for five years in prayer without any whiff of an answer, and they're getting bigger, not smaller. Put yourself in Norville's shoes. He's a good, raised Baptist, but now he's got the Holy Ghost. Maybe he doesn't have all the teaching that we have, but he's doing the best he knows to do. And five years is pretty good persistence, if you ask me. He could have quit many times. I'm sure he wanted to, but he didn't. And he hears Dad Hagen. Dad Hagen wasn't flaunting it in an inappropriate way. He was just making a factual statement, but it wasn't a big deal to him. Oh, Zona, I can, I can get rid of those for you. And he thought, I'm going to talk to him about that after dinner. But of course, after dinner, the conversation goes different places. And then they go to, they go to bed and he forgot. And then he, he gets a knock on the door uh, late at night, about two in the morning. And Dad, and Dad Hagen's there at the door. That'd be kind of cool to have Dad Hagen knock on your door at two in the morning and have a chat with you. Uh, but anyway, he said, uh, I've just been praying in tongues for two hours. And he said, the Lord Jesus spoke to me and said, leave early in the morning and go on down to Dallas and say goodbye to your sister because she will die and not live. And he said, but Lord, I, I, I got to, well, you're going to heal her. I'll go down and I'll pray and you'll heal her. Uh, you've heard me say the story, but this is the context. That's when this happened. And the Lord said to him in Norville's spare bedroom after praying for two hours in tongues, no, she's not, I'm not going to heal her because five years ago when cancer came upon her and I led you to lay your hands on her and I healed her then and then I told you to tell her to build her faith and not be lazy and to listen to your radio broadcast 15 minutes a day, five days a week. But has she done that? She has not done that once because she's lazy. And now the cancer has come back on her and she hasn't built her own faith. And so I've given her a chance, but because she hasn't obeyed my word, she's opened a door. That sickness has come back on her again and I'm not healing her and she's going to die. So go say goodbye to her. Now, you see, they don't teach you that in most Bible schools. They don't teach you that in most seminaries. It's just, oh, if it be thy will or all oh, your mysterious God. No, no, uh, not, we don't know everything, but sometimes God can get stuff over to us and we can learn how the things of the spirit work. And so in this case, we, we take a very valuable lesson. There's lots of little nuggets in this story uh, that are about different things. So be good nugget finders, okay? So uh, it, it's important that you, that you build your faith. Do you understand? It's important that you do your part to build your faith so that when problems come, uh, you, you have something there in, in reserve to withstand that problem. If you don't, don't expect God to always be merciful. He might be merciful the first time, may even be merciful the second, but you keep pushing it, you're going to get in trouble with him. God does not like lazy faith. He expects you to use your faith and build your faith, especially when you're in a church like this. Do you understand? So he said, Norville, I'm going to be gone real early. And of course, Norville's groggy and he forgot to ask him that question again. So when he woke up, Dad Hagen's gone. He left real early in the morning to drive down from Cleveland to Dallas. Anyway, so he gets up in the morning and he, and, and he says, Lord, I don't know what he meant by that statement, but he said, uh, I've been praying, and I'm quoting him now, I've been praying a good Pentecostal type prayer for five long years. Lord, and he said, nothing's happened in five years. In fact, the growths have didn't get smaller. They've got bigger. And he said, after five years, Lord, I've been, I've been praying a nice Pentecostal type prayer, meaning a prayer that is no good. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? A nice Pentecostal type prayer. I know Pentecostal people. It's just one of those prayers because you'd hardly even know, you know, some of them don't even know if it is God's will to heal. But, but some do know it's God's will to heal. And he did know it was God's will to heal. But still, it was along the lines of, oh, Lord, please heal my daughter. Lord, I'm looking for a miracle. Lord, please heal my daughter. That's an unscriptural prayer. You don't ask God to heal your daughter. Jesus healed your daughter. You take the healing by faith. Now, but people confuse this because they say, but, but God still has to heal the person. Yes, God manifests the healing. You can't manifest it. His power has to drive the cancer out. You can't do that. But you don't ask him to do something that he's already done as though he hasn't done it. The way you tap into his manifesting power is not to ask for something he's already given. It's to receive by faith something he's already given and thank him for it. That is the simplest way to explain the difference between a good Pentecostal type prayer and a word of faith prayer. The first doesn't get any results after you can pray for 50 years. It won't, it won't do anything. But the other gets a result every time. It may not happen the next day, but you'll get a result every time. A good Pentecostal prayer asks God for something he's already done. But a word of faith, a, word, a faith prayer, a prayer of petition, the prayer of faith doesn't ask him for something he's already done. It receives and takes by faith what he's already done. Either way, it's still going to take his power to manifest it. But my job is not to ask him. My job is to receive it. About money, you don't have to ask him to bring, give you money. You just have to take by faith what he's already provided. So the good Pentecostal type prayer wasn't getting much results for that good five-year period. Now he's annoyed that Dad Hagen got his mind whirling. What did he mean by that statement? You mean there's power that I don't know about? So he said, now, Lord, obviously there's a way to get this, so I'm going to start to get more serious about this. So he started really doing the Pentecostal on Red Bull kind of prayer. Now, he didn't say that because they didn't have Red Bull when they preached this. But I'm saying that. He did the same kind of prayer, but he, uh, he, add, he added more guts to it. Do you understand? <laughs> that doesn't mean God's going to answer you in terms of healing your daughter. But the more intense you get and the more you cry out to God, uh, if you cry for him and search for him with all your heart, didn't say your doctrine had to be right. Sure. Just said if you call upon him with all your heart, you'll find him. The problem is he wasn't calling upon him with all his heart. He was calling upon him with all his knees or with all his ankles or with all his shoulders or with a quarter of his heart. You cry to God even with wrong doctrine and wrong prayer with half your heart, you can pray for 25 years. But you cry upon to God with wrong doctrine, but with all your heart. He'll answer you. He won't do what you're asking because he can't. You're not in faith, but he'll show you where you're in error. And at least now you can fix where you're in error so he can answer you. Do you understand? So a half-hearted, good Pentecostal type prayer is useless. But a wholehearted, give it your all, wrong Pentecostal type prayer at least will get God's attention, even though he won't do it for you, but he'll show you where you missed it. Thank God for that. So he starts to call upon God now. And uh, he says, uh, can I quote you what he said? He starts saying these words, and he did it for three weeks. I'm giving you an idea so you know how long it took for him. It might take different for you. Don't get hung up on the times. Five years, three weeks, whatever. I'm just saying that's what it took for him. Jesus, I want to know the truth. Jesus, why are there these gross on my daughter's body and I can't get you to make him leave? Jesus, I want to know the truth. Jesus, I need you to come to my house and give my daughter a miracle. I want to know the truth. That's what he said for three weeks, hundreds of times a day. Just like that, not like calm, like just like I'm saying it to you. That's how he said it. That's how I heard him say it. And he said it loud and bold and strong. And then he said, you know, if you don't, if God doesn't honor silent faith. He wants you to be loud and bold because he's loud and bold. So he said he was loud and he was bold and he was repetitious. And then he said, after three weeks, guess what? No answers. <laughs> so then he said, I, t I started beating the fist, my fist on the floor. I said, maybe, maybe, maybe he needs me to do something. I don't know. See, when you're desperate, you don't know, you're dumb. You don't know what to do, but you just start getting even more aggressive. He said, I did the same thing, but I started beating my the floor with my fist. And he said, I added a couple... I added a couple things to my phraseology and he said the same thing before I said, but now he adds and he says, Jesus, not just I want to know the truth. Jesus, I have a right to know the truth. I have a right to know it. 
I'm your son and I have a right to know the truth. Heaven has the truth and I want it. Jesus, I need you to come to my house and give my daughter a miracle. Jesus, I don't understand why I can't get you to get rid of these gross on my daughter's body. Jesus, I want to know the truth. I have a right to know the truth. You see, he's really be storming. That's still not the right kind of prayer, but at least it's with all his heart. And God will answer you if you call upon him with all your heart. Thank God for that. Otherwise, very few people would get answers because most people's doctrine is not that right. But if you call upon God with all your heart, you'll find him. Just remember that. That doesn't excuse bad doctrine, but it does let you know you don't have to be perfect. If you call upon him with all your heart, he'll answer you. Amen. So he does that for, uh, for, he said, a few days. He didn't say how long. He just said a few days. And then he said a few days later, after he started slamming his fist on the, on the floor, it was a Sunday night. Zona, 16, is dating Bobby, who's also 16. Bobby wanted to take her out in the car on Sunday night after church. And Norval, being a good daddy, some of you parents should pay attention. He said, I don't want you out there on yonder sitting in the backseat of a car. I don't think that's a good environment for two young people who are 16. And he's right. So he said, Bobby, you want to hang out with my daughter? It's not going to be in the backseat of a car somewhere. But you take her to church, you bring her back, and then you can sit in the den and watch a movie. You have some popcorn. And I, I won't bug you. I'll give you your privacy, but I'll just be wandering, doing whatever I'm doing. So that's what Bobby and Zona would do every Sunday night. So this is one Sunday night, a few days after he started pounding the fist the floor with his fist and he was walking in another room in the house and as he's walking he's just I don't know he didn't say he was thinking about it, he didn't say he was even praying he was just walking and he took one step and as he stepped instead of stepping onto the carpet in mid-stride he stepped into a white cloud at that moment his body froze his senses were suspended and now he is having an out-of-body experience and really God took him to heaven he said he stepped into a white cloud and he said it was so pure he said, no, no atmosphere on earth, even in the most glorious service, where the anointing is the strongest that we've ever felt, nothing compares to that presence that is in heaven. He said the atmosphere was so clean. It was so pure. It was so void of darkness and doubt and unbelief and sin. It was so void of, of anything with failure. It was so charged, he said, with absolute truth. Not truth, absolute truth. It was charged with power and light and love and truth. Everything he said was truth. He said you couldn't not believe it was just permeating faith and truth were everywhere. It went through your pores. It, it, it invaded your being, faith and truth. Compared to where we live, that's a pretty great place to live. And he said he was afraid and he started shaking. He was not, he said, I've never experienced an atmosphere so pure and clean and holy and full of bright light and wonder and purity and truth and holiness. He said, I, I knew I was in heaven, but he said, I didn't see anything. I didn't see anyone. I'm in a white cloud. All I can see is the white cloud. And he said, he heard a voice. It was a male voice. The voice said it quite a little bit slowly. He said the, vo the voice was coarse and strong. It wasn't loud, but it was strong. And it was slow. It said it slowly. And this is the, what he heard come out of the cloud. Didn't see, but this is what he heard. How long are you going to stumble around in darkness? How long are you going to put up with those growths on your daughter's body? Now remember, he's in an atmosphere of, perfect, of perfection. He's had five years of a good Pentecostal prayer that produced nothing. He's had three weeks of a good Pentecostal prayer that at least was with all his heart that still produced more or less nothing. Now he's had a few days of pounding the floor with his fist. He's desperate to know the truth. He knows Kenneth Hagin knows the truth, but he, instead of picking up the phone and calling, he wants to get it from God himself, and I respect that. He could have just called Brother Hagin, but he said, I want to get this from God myself. He's storming heaven. His prayer's not right. His prayer's not faith. I don't understand why I got these gross in my daughter's body and I can't get you to remove them. That's not the right prayer. But it is the right prayer to say, I want to know the truth. I have a right to know the truth. Heaven has a miracle and I need a miracle. That's fine to pray that. Now God's answering the cry of his heart. See, God has not taken the gross away because he has not qualified. 
But God is answering the cry of his heart in the good Pentecostal type prayer and has taken him to heaven and in a pure atmosphere of complete perfection, a voice comes out of the cloud, which is the voice of God. And he says, how long are you gonna stumble around in darkness? That means, take, listen. Brother Greg, this is like it happened to you. That's how we gotta look at the story. It's like it happened to you. It's like it happened to me. It applies to me as much as it applied to Norville. God wants to know how long I'm going to stumble around in darkness. But I've been praying a good Pentecostal type prayer for five years. How could that be darkness? In God's economy, that's darkness. Are you listening? How long are you going to be stumbling around in darkness? How long are you, listen to the wording, how long are you going to put up with those growths on your daughter's body? You. You are at fault. You are responsible. You are the one to blame. Now somebody with a proud heart can't, can't accept that. Because everything is God's fault. But nothing is God's fault. God's perfect. He's never made a mistake and he never will. The Bible says, let every man be a liar, but let God be true. Something's not working for you. There's something wrong with you. It is not God. And the more you, tell, you pick on God, how's that working out for you? It never works out for you. If you pray the wrong prayer, you're stumbling around in darkness. Even though you got a religious veneer to it. Well, now you feel you're spiritual because you're praying many hours. But it's still stumbling around in darkness. How long are you going to put up with those gross on your daughter's body? You're to blame. You're asking me, I can't get you to come to my house. I'm telling you that's darkness. I hope you're listening. I'm telling you, you're to blame. So what he said, he reminisces after the fact, of course, when he's preaching this, he reminisces and he says, can you imagine praying for something for five years? And then somebody asks you how long you're going to put up with it? I've been praying for it for five years. What do you mean? How long am I going to put up with it? I'm the one praying for five years. But you see, God still is saying, basically, you're putting up with it. So all your fancy prayers, they don't cut it. Only thing that cuts it is faith. Not a bunch of fancy prayers. So he whimpered, whimpered, whimpered. You know what whimpering means? Whimpering doesn't mean you answer strong. It means your tail's between your legs. It means you're wearing depends because you soiled yourself. Whimpering means your, quiver, your voice is quivering. Whimpering means you're scared. He whimpered, uh, I, 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 and he stuttered. He doesn't stutter, but when you're in God's presence and he yells at you, you'll stutter too, let me tell you. I don't know, Jesus. What, what do you mean? What do you mean? I don't, I don't have them. They're not on me, Jesus. I'm not really putting up with them. I don't, I don't have them, Jesus. They're, they're on my daughter. My daughter has a gross. Uh, she's putting up with them, not me, Jesus. I'm not putting up with them. I don't have them. You see, his logic is trying to understand what God means. Why are you putting up with them? But he said, but, but it's not on me, Jesus. It's on her. I'm not putting up with them. She's putting up with them. I'm just trying to get your, I'm, I don't know what you mean, Jesus. He's whimpering. Okay. And he's trembling. He said, Lord, I'm not putting up with them. They're not on me. They're on my daughter. Now, listen, if you know anything, if you learn about God, when you answer badly, he'll let you know. That's part of the job as a pastor. Somebody answers wrongly. I let them know. As a parent, you better let your child know when they answer wrongly. Because if you don't let them know, the popo one day is going to let them know. And if you don't let them know, they'll get, they'll get kicked out of their school. And the principal or the president of the university will be happy to let them know. It's a shame, crying shame, that the police have to do the parent's job. That, 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 that all these other things have to do the parent's job because a parent never was loud and bold with their child and told them the way it is, not the way the child said it was going to be. See, that God is a father and he's going to say it loud and bold to his son. His son is missing it. He loves his son so much he can't let him miss it anymore. Now he says, he said it coarse and slow and strong, but he says now... Oh, he said, he said, whew. he said, my bones rattled and God yelled at him. Remember, he's just said, I, I don't know, Lord, it's, in a, it's not on me. It's not on me. It's on her, Lord. I don't understand. I'm not putting up with it. And then God interrupted him. You're the head of your house. Now, when God in heaven in a perfect atmosphere yells at you, if I were you, I'd be careful. He said, when God spoke, a lightning bolt struck. 
He said, now listen, the Bible says, brother, in the book of Ezekiel, that the voice of the cherubim was so loud that the pillars of the temple quaked. If a cherubim's voice can make pillars of a temple shake, can you imagine God's voice? God's voice can annihilate entire universes. When God speaks, you just shut up and pay attention. He's still stumbling around in darkness in his mind, even though he's in heaven. He's making excuses. He's blaming his daughter. He's not understanding. And God made it very clear. You're the head of your house. Remember the question. Why are you stumbling around in darkness? How long are you going to stumble around? How long are you yeah. going to put up with the gross yeah. on those gross on your daughter's body? Blah, 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 blah. You're the head of your house. Yeah. Amen. What is he saying? You have been given authority. You are putting up with this. Stop it. Yeah. Amen. Man, I'm telling you, I don't know why that gets me the way it gets me, but it's so powerful. You're the head of your house. Lightning struck. He said there was so much power. And then God continued. What are you putting up with those growths in your house for? They're not from heaven. You belong to heaven. How long are you going to put up with those growths on your daughter's body? You're the boss of your house. And lightning struck again. Whew, my God. He said God gets upset with stupid faith. Then he started saying, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And he started to see by revelation knowledge, he got what God was saying. The Holy Ghost still in heaven. The Holy Ghost is still in him, even though he's in heaven. And the Holy Ghost was helping him understand what God is telling him. And he said, I see it. I see it, Lord. I see it. Yes, I have authority. I'm the head of my house. And then he said, but I, 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 I'll do it, Lord. I'll do it. But I don't know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Teach me and I'll do it. But I don't know how to do it. See, what a, what a pure heart. Yes. He's saying, Lord, I, I know I'm dumb. But I've been praying good Pentecostal type prayer for five years. Give me some credit. No, God don't give you no credit for your stupid prayers. He says that's stumbling around in darkness. Then when you try to push the blame off on somebody else, he yells at you. Because he's trying to get over. You have spiritual dominion. What are you doing putting up with something in your house that is an invading force? What are you putting up with those growths in your house for? Now, if there's poverty, he could say that about poverty. If it's, some, if it's rebellion, he could say that about rebellion. If it's warts, he could say that about warts. If it's pornography, he could say that about pornography. Especially if it's demonic in nature, sickness-oriented, you're putting up with it. We don't look like we're putting up with things, but every one of us, every single person in this room, including me, are putting up with certain things in our houses. And you better listen to the sermon and not just let me do a dog and pony dance and, and shout for you, but you better start listening from your heart and start, as I'm preaching, start thinking, what am I putting up with in my house? What am I putting up with in my, if I went to heaven, what would God put his finger on? Because every one of us are putting up. If you are not perfectly healed in every cell of your body, you're putting up with something in your house. If you don't have all the increase that you need and you're exactly in the perfect will of God in your finances, you're putting up with poverty in your house. If your mind is squirrely at all, you're putting up with torment in your house. Do you understand? Every one of us are putting, especially physical healing issues, sickness-oriented issues, because that's, the, that's the, what God was dealing with. It could apply to anything, but especially he was talking about sickness areas. We're putting up with some things. We're putting up with some things. Well, you know, I got, I, got a, <laughs> I got a little bit of arthritis, but it's only a little bit. And this is the way the devil wears you down. Don't worry about it right now. Just, just you're very busy. You don't have time to worry about that. The devil says, don't, don't worry about it. Just, 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 we're very busy. Talk about, think about this another time. But then three weeks later, now it's in two fingers. And now fear comes. Uh, I'll think about another time. I better book an appointment. And now six months later, now it's in your whole hand. What are you doing? You're putting up with something in your house. Jesus bled and died for you to be a ruler in this realm. And you're putting up with stuff that you don't need to put up with. And the devil's going to try to talk you out of it. And God is angry with it. 
And he said to me Friday morning, an early morning prayer, he said, I want you to preach this to your congregation. I know not all of you are here, but that's not my problem. If he said preach it Wednesday night, I didn't give a rip who's here and who's not. He didn't tell me to preach it if the building is full. He said preach it Wednesday night, so that's what I'm doing. I'm on assignment to teach you something, and I know you've heard the story, but if you open your heart, you'll hear something you haven't heard before. There's impartation, there's nuggets that you need tonight. You're the head of your house. Why are you putting up with those growths in your house? They're not from heaven. In other words, only things from heaven are allowed in your house. But you belong to heaven. If you belong to heaven and that's not from heaven, why are you putting up with it? You're the boss of your house. I see it, Lord. I see it, Jesus. I see it, Lord. I want to do that, Lord. I'll do that, Lord, he says. But I don't know how. Teach me how, Lord. Teach me how. And then he says, ah, God told him how. See, he's so kind. Let me quote you what God said. You have never cursed the roots of those growths on your daughter's body in my name like I did the fig tree. If you will curse the roots of those growths on your daughter's body and you will curse them in my name, they will die and disappear if you will believe and not doubt. They will die like the fig tree died when I cursed it. Now, son, you can go back now, but don't doubt me. Believe me, son, don't doubt me and you will see the glory of God. He's telling us how. If you will, you have never cursed the roots of those growths on your daughter's body in my name, like I did the fig tree. If you will curse the roots of those growths on your daughter's body and you will curse them in my name. Can't just curse them. You got to curse them in his name. They will die and disappear if you believe and not doubt. They will die like the fig tree died when I cursed it. Now, son, you can go back now. Remember, he's in heaven. He's letting him go back to earth. You can go back now, but don't doubt me. Believe me, son. Now, remember, in an atmosphere full of truth, it's very easy to believe. It's permeated with faith. Faith is going through your cells. Why did God say believe me if, he could, if he's believing him in that moment? Because he's leaving that atmosphere way. He's going down to another atmosphere where it's a challenge to believe. He wasn't telling him for that moment because he can believe in that moment. It's because he's going to get back to his house. Believe me, son. Don't doubt me and you will see the glory of God. Meaning the glory is going to dry up and kill those growths. Meaning miracles are equal to the glory of God. And he began to descend and he heard God's voice getting fainter and fainter as he descended into earth's atmosphere. It was loud at first, but then it became slow, softer and softer until it disappeared entirely. And the words that God said in his parting to him was, if you will believe and not doubt, 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 God. And as, as, he, as that last phrase, you know, went away, he can't hear it anymore. He said, I come back in my body and I step where I was going to step. I'm back exactly where I left off. And he said, as I'm coming down, now listen, this will help you. This is what I'm done. This is, the, this is the connector to where we're going, how this applies to Sunday. We're going corporately and individually into new areas of increase. Now, he just came into a new area of increase. His increase is 42 growths. Your increase is your increase, whatever that is. Our increase for the church is what God's told me to believe for. But all of us have an area that we're believing for increase. He had an area of increase. God was giving him the definition and the explanation how to get it. But now watch now. As he said, as I come back into earth's atmosphere, he said, I can feel the pressure of doubt, of darkness, of ungodliness, of demons. He said, it's like, it's so pure there, so clean. But as I come back into this atmosphere, he said, I can feel it pushing on my mind as I descend. You can, there's actually, because it's real, it's tangible, this atmosphere, we're so used to it. But if we went to heaven, you'd realize that this is not how God lives. But we are so used to this feeling here. As he come out of God's presence and back into earth realm, the presence of demons are in this realm. 
Doubt, filth, ungodliness, vileness is in this realm. Unbelief and darkness is in this realm. And he said, as I come down, I can feel it pushing on my mind. Now he said, I understand what Paul meant when he said, fight the good fight of faith. Because it is a fight to stay in faith because the atmosphere is pushing on you to try to get you to doubt. And you have to fight against that. And you have to say, I will not. I will believe. See, up there, it's easy. Down here, it's a fight. But it's a good fight because you win it if you'll fight it. And he comes into his body and he takes the next step and he thinks to himself, I'm going to go into Zona right now and curse the roots of those gross. And he said, I heard a voice. He said, the voice came from the outside into my ear and the voice sounded real sweet. Now, this is the devil speaking, but the devil will sound real sweet to convince you because he can come as an angel of light, can he not? And he said these words, don't go in there and pray for your daughter right now because she's in there with her boyfriend and you're going to embarrass her. And remember how much you love your daughter. You love your daughter so very much and you don't want to embarrass her. Don't go in there right now. Now, Norville, if you know anything about Norville, he responded boldly. He out loud, he answered the voice. And he said, I don't care about boyfriends. I don't care about embarrassing her. I don't care about nothing. I'm going in right now to curse those gross and believe and not doubt. And he starts to walk toward the den where Bobby and Zona are watching a movie. And as he walks, he says he hears the voice again, but the voice changed tactics. First, it was sweet. Now it is pleading. Now I want you to look at something. When you've come back from heaven, the devil's afraid of you. We give him too much credit. The only reason you give him so much credit is because you live in hell where he lives. When you come from where God lives and you're full of the glory of God, he's afraid of you. And he started pleading with him. The voice started pleading and begging and whimpering. When the devil knows you're about to cut his head off, he'll plead with you. I love it. He pleaded. She's in there with her boyfriend. Don't go in there. Right now, please don't. He said, please don't go in there. Please, you'll embarrass her. Please don't go in there. You're going to ruin her tonight. Please, please. And he said, ah, shut up. And he charged into that room. <laughs> and when he gets there, he says, Zona. And she jerks and looks up and Bobby looks up. Jesus told me if I curse those gross on your body, they would die and disappear. And he said, Bobby's looking at there. His word was goggle-eyed at me. Just not getting it at all. And she said, Daddy, what's wrong with you? You're acting crazy, Daddy. You're acting crazy. What is wrong with you, Daddy? And he screamed. He said, Zona, I just come back from heaven. <laughs> told me to curse those roots and of those growths in your body in his name and they will die and disappear if I believe and not doubt. And he looked at Bobby and he said, what do you have to say about that, Bobby? And he said, whatever you say, Miss Hayes, whatever you say, Miss Hayes, whatever you say, Miss Hayes. And he reached over and he put his hand on his daughter and he cursed those roots from, those growths from their root. In the name of Jesus, he cursed them. And he said, and I believe and I don't doubt. I curse the roots of you and I commend you to die in Jesus' name. Sunday night, nothing changed. But Lord, you told me you'd do this and I'd see the glory of God. So the next morning, Monday morning, he gets up, checks his daughter, 42 gross, still there, broken, bleeding, and ugly as ever. Lord, what's going on here? And the Holy Ghost prompted him, just praise me. Just praise me. Now, God already gave him the answer. He just didn't clue into it at first. God says, if you curse the roots of those growths as I did the fig tree. Yeah. When Jesus cursed the fig tree, the fig tree didn't in five seconds fall over dead. If you read it 24 hours later, they come back. Peter calling to remembrance says, Master, the fig tree which you cursed is dried up from the roots. It took 24 hours for it to become visible. Yes. But it started under the soil the moment Jesus said it. Yes. So God gave him the hint, but he didn't pick up the hint probably. Because I'm sure he wanted it to happen right away. When there's that much of the spirit of faith on you, you expect an instant result and many times you'll get it. I'm just saying sometimes you don't, but that doesn't mean it's not working. Get out of your sense realm and into the faith realm. Faith is working whether you can see it or not. 
And that's the lesson we have to remind ourselves. The, the main part is don't let the devil beat your mind up. Right. Don't let him convince you to not be bold. Don't let him convince you to put up with things. Do you understand? I won't say what right now because I want to wait for the report to happen for me to testify without giving too many specifics. But there's something with one of my kids that I'm believing God for in their health. But to be honest with you, it, it, it is so, it's more than one item. And to be honest with you, I find it a little bit overwhelming. And so I've been kind of struggling and then you just kind of, uh, I'll think about it later. See, that's yeah, a strategy yeah, of the devil. Yeah. I'll think about it later. So as, as, I was, as I was preaching this on Sunday and, and on the plane flying home, trying to get Taylor to shut up and let me pray and get into the spirit. I'm just kidding, Taylor. He's a great traveling companion. But as we're there, I, I, I'm saying, Lord, I know I've put up with this. But I said, Lord, I just, I feel a bit overwhelmed. And the Holy Ghost said to me the same thing Pastor Nancy said with finances will work for that. What did he mean? I knew what he meant. She said, if you're believing for a thousand, but it's beyond your measure of faith, believe God for a hundred. And believe him 10 times. The Lord said, you're, stop, stop trying to do the whole body, son. Take one part of his body where that one thing is and deal with it. And then once you've dealt with that, move to the next part and deal with that. You're trying to deal with the whole war on seven different battlefronts. Just deal with one battlefront at a time. But I expect you to deal with it because you're the head of your house. Do you understand? Yes. So Monday morning, I grabbed my son and I said, Lord, I'm just going to focus on this one area. And I started dealing with that thing. And I'm not going to look at the rest of the body. I'm not, I don't care about, I'm dealing with that part. And that part is going to obey my voice. And once that part is dealt with, I'm going to move to the next part. I don't have to deal with the whole body at once. I can take it off in chunks if it, if it overwhelms me. You might have seven, nine, seven things wrong with you. High blood pressure, oh, glaucoma, Jesus help me. Hair loss. Lord, I got double glaucoma. Help me, Lord. I got, I got hearing problems. Oh, my bones hurt, Lord Jesus. And you just keep talking about this long list of deficiencies. Why don't you just take one deficiency, your glaucoma. I got to smoke weed for my glaucoma, Pastor. I got to smoke it. No, you don't have to smoke weed for your glaucoma. Jesus died for your glaucoma. Now, why don't you start dealing with that one area and not worry about your hips and your bones and your blood and your hair? Because it's overwhelming. You've got too many problems. You're a, you're a sicko. You got, you're sick everywhere. You're a sicko. When you've got too many problems to count, you're called a sicko. Right? Some of us are sickos. We've got so many problems, we don't even know where to start. Every altar call, we're coming up because we need an overhaul. Overhaul. And by the way, when you come up to one of my guest ministers and you start listing your long list like some of you do, you don't notice some of the ministers go, oh, dear God, you need an overhaul. When you hear them say that, it means you said too much. He's going down your list. Oh, I got this. Bang, 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 bang. That's like, okay, like, just, 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 just pick one thing. Just pick one thing, for God's sake, and let's get rid of that first. My God. So the next day, so listen, for 40 days and 40 nights, every day, he said sometimes 70 times, sometimes 100 times, sometimes 400 times. Hundreds of times to fight the good fight of faith. If you're stronger one day, you don't have to talk it as much. But if you feel weak one day, you're going to have to double, triple, quadruple your talking. You're praising. You're confessing. Do you understand? Because it's that that keeps the switch of faith turned on. It's that that keeps the power flowing. In the rejoicing, power flows. If you're feeling weak, then triple up on the rejoicing. And every day and every night for 40 days and 40 nights, he said, Lord, thank you for removing those growths from my daughter's body. In other words, I don't have the power to get rid of them, but I've done the right thing now. I was asking you to do it, but you already did it. Now I've received what you've done by faith. And I've cursed it in the power of your name with my dominion. And now I praise you because it's still going to take your power to drive them out. I can't do that. That's something you must do. But my job is to just to praise you and to praise you. I thank you every day, hundreds of times. Lord, thank you for removing those growths from my daughter's body. Lord, thank you for removing those growths from my daughter's body. Lord, I want you to know I praise you for removing those growths from my daughter's body. Yeah. Amen. Amen. 
Now, when you've gone to heaven, you prayed five years and he rebuked you that you were in darkness. He tells you what to do and you do exactly what he did right away. And even though the devil withstood you, you push through. And you're doing good now. You've done exactly what God says. And he said, you'll see the glory of God. I bet you Norville didn't think it would take 40 days. But God was, see, God, God's the boss. He is, you know, you, you can't make him strike with lightning when you say it. He wants to see if you've got some staying power. Sometimes God will do that. Other times he won't. Don't ask me why. Talk to him. All I know is that until it manifests, you better praise him. 40 days and 40 nights. And on the 41st day, he didn't know it was going to take 40 days. He's going to do it until the rapture comes. But it only took 40 days. And Zona is in her bedroom and he's downstairs. And she's got her closet open and there's a full length mirror on the right side of her closet. And she is doing her spring switch up wardrobe, which apparently ladies do. I don't think guys do it, but ladies do it. And she was taking out the, whatever the season was, those clothes, putting it on her bed so that she could make room for her new clothes for that season. Do you understand, ladies? You all understand what I mean? Okay, took me a little bit of to understand why somebody would do that. But anyway, maybe they've got too many clothes. They can't fit it all into one closet. I guess that's why. So she's taking out the clothes. Now she can see in her peripheral, her body. She's not looking at herself. She's not there to put her makeup on. She's there to get clothes. She's taking the clothes out and putting it on the bed. She comes back, she takes the clothes out. Now, listen, from the time she took that clothes, faces the mirror, sees herself in the peripheral, puts it on the bed and walks back to the closet, gets the next thing of clothes and turns. How long does that take? 10 seconds? She had 42 gross broken and bleeding. She came back and got the next thing of clothes and happened to glance at herself in the mirror, just a glance. And she saw those growths that she could see that weren't, the clothes weren't covering, were gone. She pulled her thing up, gone. And she screamed, ah! I'm, I'm just telling you what he said. She screamed, ah! And she started running to the door to go downstairs. She's in such shock. She's full out run. She's in such shock, she miscalculates the door frame and hits her head, walks, flies straight into the door frame and knocks herself out. What Norval hears is this. Ah! Boom. That's what he hears. Zona! No answer. Zona! No answer. He starts running. She's only out for a couple of seconds. She comes to, bleeding. She comes to. Daddy! And she gets up and they meet each other at the stairs. Daddy, look! Daddy, look! 42 growths disappeared, Reverend Taylor. Pure, beautiful, clean baby skin in its place. And her, her only answer, she wasn't really praising God at first. She just said, Daddy, this is scary. Daddy, this is freaky. Daddy, what's going on? What did you do? Daddy, look at my, look at me, look at me. And he just said, Zona, we have seen the glory of God. Let's praise God. And they began to praise him and they began to praise him and they began to praise him and they began to praise him. You know why faith doesn't work? Because you don't got any. It's the truth. If you had faith, it works. It always works. Faith the size of a mustard seed can move the sycamine tree. So obviously even a tiny bit will do a big job. So if it's not working, it's not that you don't have faith and you're trying to have some formula on how faith works. If it's not working, just admit it. You don't have no faith on that area. You might have a measure of faith for salvation. You might have a measure of faith for not starving. You know what I'm saying? Like, Lord, I, I can believe you that I won't starve to death. Yeah. Well, good for you. That's a great place to start, but you've got a long way to go. Because yeah. a lot better things in life than starving to death. Yeah. But some people, that's all they can believe. They can barely believe for enough to eat. Yeah. No, I'm not joking you. There's a precious man that came to our church. I forget his name. He passed away. He was kind of a street guy. Remember his name? Rodney. Precious, precious, precious man. Precious man. He went to this religious good Pentecostal type church. 
that taught him good Pentecostal type prayers that is stumbling around in good Pentecostal type darkness. And he, I don't, I'm not against anybody. I'm just against religion. They teach you nothing. And he come here and he sat. He kind of li- he kind of lived in people's homes, and then he'd kind of be on the street for a couple of days, and he'd live in. So he just he just was one of those kind of guys. Didn't really have nothing. And he'd come talk to me. And at first, you know, I go, Oh God, here's Rodney again, because you know they're they're high maintenance. But I I, I just I got to be kind to him. And I and I talked to him. How you doing, Rodney? Pastor Craig, I've never heard this in my life. He said, I've been, and I won't say the church's name, but it's a good Pentecostal-type church that teaches good Pentecostal-type darkness. And he said, I've been in the church for 30, over 30 years. I've never heard this in my life. He said, I started to, and he practiced it. He said, I started to say, say, I believe God for a coffee. And he said, this this doesn't matter whether it's a million dollars or a coffee. It's just as real. So don't, don't, don't mock him. He said, you wouldn't believe it. I've never had this happen. I prayed and asked God and somebody came up and said, I just feel in my heart that I need to give you $5 for you to go and buy coffee. And he said, and I took my tithe out of that. And he said, I took an offering. And then he said, I bought somebody else a coffee. Sometimes I find the poorest people are the most generous. And he said, I went and I bought myself a coffee and a donut. He said, I can't believe this works. He said, you're teaching me something that I've never heard before. He said, this is life to me. And it was. And you know, before he died, he'd believe God for a bunch of new clothes. And he was on his first car before he died. I sat with him and I said, now you've done this, you've gone this, you've gone this, you've gone this. Uh, he went up to a meal, somebody buying him a meal. He just, we just went up together. I located his faith and we went up together. And I says, now you need to believe for a car. Oh, I couldn't, I've never had a car. I could never do that. I said, but if you, what's the difference to God? A coffee or a car, it's the same thing to God. It's just different to your mind, but it's to God, it's the same thing. Okay, and we were starting to believe God for a car together. And then he went home to be with Jesus. I, 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 what I'm saying to you is that, uh, even a little tiny bit of faith. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got it, it works. If it ain't working, you don't got no faith. So where does faith come from? I'm going to read my Bible. I'm just going to read it. Just going to read it. I'm going to read my Bible. No, because if you read your Bible, if you read, if you read your Bible, you are reading logos. That's the Greek word for word. And the Bible logos does not produce faith. That's why you can read your, read your Bible for 19 hours and not have any faith out of it. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. The word word is rhema, the quickened, spoken, made alive word. When one verse in this Bible jumps, when it becomes real to you, when the Holy Ghost, the actual root word, it means to pour water into a vessel. When, when it's like the Holy Ghost pours revelation into you on that verse and you see it with fresh eyes and he has uttered it and spoken it. It's not just written, it is spoken to you. You, it's quickened, it's made alive and you go, ah, ah, I see that. Faith just came. Yes, sir. But if you read, I'm going to read my Bible. You can read it religiously for 19 years and never have faith. But you can read it and the Holy Ghost quicken it to you and faith springs in your heart like a powerful plant. When you get revelation, faith comes. So you say, but I'm putting up with it. You're telling me I'm putting up with it and that I've got to curse it and believe and not doubt. But how do I believe? I've got to, I've got to have faith if you're going to believe and not doubt. But how do I get faith? You've got to get in the word. But I'm in the word. But you're not in rhema. You're in logos. Read it and meditate on the logos until it becomes rhema. When it's rhema, faith comes. When faith comes, now you believe. Believe and don't doubt, he said. Believe and don't doubt, son. Believe and don't doubt. Believe and don't doubt. If you believe and not doubt, if you believe and not doubt, if you say unto this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea and shall not doubt in your heart, but shall believe that those things which you say shall come to pass, you shall have whatsoever things you say. If you don't doubt in your heart, but if you believe. Where does the believing come from? Faith. Where does faith come from? Rhema. Where does rhema come from? Meditating logos. Read it. Meditate until it becomes yours. And then you go, I believe it. I believe it. And it's vibrating in your heart. It's vibrating. If you, uh, faith is in thy heart and in thy mouth. 
This is the word of faith which we preach in thy heart and in thy mouth. If you confess the Lord Jesus and believe, you'll be saved. If you believe in your heart for healing and you speak it with your mouth, you'll be healed. This is the process of God. It's vibrating in your heart now. Open your mouth and let it out. Let it out. Let it out. Stop putting up with things. Little idiosyncrasies. Little pains. Little annoyances. Stop putting up with it. Sometimes there's neighbors that get demon possessed. And they will harass you. Recognize. Be, in, be a spiritual person. That instead of throwing the, the dog poop over the fence at your neighbor. Which somebody told me that they did. Instead of throwing the dog poop over to, 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 to just anger them. But I'm, they did that to me. Watch what I do to them. That's dangerous. That's not, that's not spiritual. If it's demonic, start putting, stop putting up with that. Start saying, I, I, I speak to you. You hear me? I speak to you. I forbid you on this property. I forbid your harassment in my workplace. You hear me, devil that's got possessed, that's possessed the mind of my boss? I speak to you. I don't put up with you anymore. I work there. I'm a child of heaven. That you don't belong to heaven. I will not put up with anything that's not heaven. I command you, go in Jesus. And if she won't yield, Father, remove her. You hear what I'm saying? We put up with too much stuff, Reverend Dan. We have grown so weak that we have put up with this problem and put up with that problem and put up with this thing and put up with that issue. And we're always putting up with everything. You're the head of your house if you bind and forbid it to be on your part. Remember Ernie Reb in the Philippines? He said when that demon-possessed thing, that demon got a hold of that guy and he's fighting with it and he bites him and the blood's flowing and the witch doctor comes and says, you've got to do a pig sacrifice and a chicken sacrifice or the demons will come back and attack all your workers. He said, get your pickings and your chigs off my property. You like that? Pickings and chigs. Did you like that? <laughs> get them off my property. The witch doctor says, if, you, if, you, if this happens again and that spirit kills it, the, the law of the land says you have to pay for that wife and the children. He says, get your picking and chigs off my property. I said it again. Get them off. Now listen, I don't put up with that on my property. Amen. You see, this is, now this is good old Pentecostal talk, but this is word of faith Pentecostal talk. He said, I forbid you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to come back on this property and any of those demons with you will never come back on this property. As long as I'm on this property, demons stay off this property. See, now he believes and he doesn't doubt. Where does he get that kind of faith from? From Ramah. Yeah. Yeah. That's not special because he's a minister and he knows Dad Hagen. It applies to all of us. If you'll get Ramah, you'll have faith. If you'll then believe and not doubt and speak to things, they will obey you. When I was on that bridge in India and I forbid that spirit, that troll to operate. And they're waiting for me to draw. They're waiting. They're watching, looking for a show. Take me five minutes to coax those three nasty pastors who got no faith to leave their safe place and come out on the bridge with me. And then we did a little dance. Well, I said, you, you're under our feet, Mr. Troll. And they sent me a letter. Never, we, that's never happened again. It's not because I'm special. It's because I believe and I don't doubt. And I forbid that thing. It wasn't even my property. But if I'm on that bridge at that time, it becomes my property. If I'm on a plane, it becomes my property. If the airline knew how safe they were when I fly with them, they'd pay my ticket for me. And I'm serious. As long as I'm in the spirit and God's not telling me not to get on and I disobey him, as long as I know that he's told me to go, they should pay my ticket. They should pay your ticket too. Because the whole plane is now safe because of me. It's not, it's, that becomes my property. Your workplace is your property. Your mind is your property. Your body is your property. Your children's body is your property. Your wife's body or your husband's body is your property. You have a right to say, I'm the head of my house. You're not from heaven. I refuse to put up with you. I forbid you on this property. I curse you. I bind you. I command you to go. I believe and I don't doubt you must obey me. And it will obey you. It might take 40 days of you praising, but I promise if you don't quit, it will obey you. Amen. Father, I've endeavored to obey your instruction and preach this message simply and repeat to them the story and the divine experience that Dr. Norval Hayes had. Let us not let these revelations die. Just because he died on October 6, 2018 does not mean that the revelation that he experienced died with him. It's for us. It's for the church age. It's for us today. You took him to heaven, but Lord, you're teaching us from that story even now because it lines up with your word. 
So I pray, Father, that these precious ones here tonight and those watching by way of live stream, that they would take their faith up to a new level, that they would recognize areas that they have not been acting as the head of their house, the, the spiritual dynamo, the spiritual boss, the one with the divine authority, the one with dominion. Lord, if we're not taking authority and operating in dominion, we're stumbling around in darkness. If we're putting up with things, we're stumbling around in darkness. If we're sick, we're stumbling around in darkness. If we're praying prayers, asking you to do it for us, we're stumbling around in darkness. We've learned the light. The light is simple. Get your word inside of us where it becomes alive. Faith rises up. And because we recognize that you paid for it on the tree, we don't ask you for it. We take it by faith. We receive it. We don't ask you for it. We receive it by faith. And then we use our authority and command things and they will obey us. And then your power manifests to cause whatever that thing was that we can't do on our own, that it takes your power to complete the task, to bring the restoration from the disease, to bring the financial miracle. Your power will do it for us. We access the manifestation of your power by receiving by faith, not by begging you even with good sounding prayers that's stumbling around in darkness receiving it by faith is commending with authority and it will work for us so i thank you father let these precious people take a good inventory as they drive home as they lie in their bed tonight in the darkness let them take a good mental inventory of what they're putting up with and let them vow like i've been vowing lately to stop that stumbling around in darkness from this day forward we will make war on these areas and they will obey our voice and we will be free and we will be healed in Jesus' mighty name.